Welcome back, everyone, to ArtuCast number 32. Today we have Kaz Straharchik, which I have just had to make sure I'm saying it right, and I probably haven't, but uh, let's hope it's close enough. Kaz, do you want to say hello to everyone? Hello. Before we get on in to another excellent episode of the R2Cast, I would just like to thank the sponsor for the show today, The Scottish Farmer. A weekly magazine highlighting everything you need to know regarding the Scottish agricultural industry, whether it's breaking news, events happening in the sector, market reports, classified ads, or just wholesome stories happening in the industry. The Scottish Farmer's got it for you. So um, if you don't know Kaz, which uh, you should do, uh, he's already probably busy enough being a vet in his day-to-day life, uh, but has decided to, much like a lot of the people that have been on here, uh, document their life on YouTube um, as farm vet films. And some of the, the stuff he puts up, as I was just telling them before the recording started, it's probably a bit gnarly for my little squeamish mind, but it's great to see sort of what's happening out there and what vets are doing. Back in January, we had Hazel Mullins on as well. Uh, and I'm basically just ready for an hour of me not understanding anything. Uh, that's normally how these go. Um, but Kaz, do you want to tell us a bit about when you were younger? Was was veterinary always for you? Did you always have an inclination towards animals or...? <clears throat> Yeah, uh, yes, basically it was always for me. So to give you a very potted history, uh, I grew up in um, sort of northeast London. So originally in a place called Hackney Wick um, and then sort of further out, dare I say, even into Essex. Um, So sort of, yeah, that urban setting, my mum and dad uh, were both medics and mum was a nurse, dad's GP. So I had that quite, you know, if, if veterinary medicine is sort of quasi-medical, I had that medical background. Mm. I always had an interest in the natural world. Uh, funnily enough, I had interest in food and the countryside, which I never thought of as being related to veterinary medicine. That sort of connection came a bit later. But as I say, it was more, it was more, I, I was some, a, a kid and I, differences, a lot of the guys you've had on would have been, would have grown up either as farming families or at least in a rural setting. That was not me. I, stayed in a, a little um well it wasn't a little it was a lovely flat but it was a flat you know we didn't have a garden mm-hmm. and and my mum and dad were bit my mum and dad worked hard um and and f- frankly we sort of got on with it and looked after ourselves and I grew up inside basically is what I'm, I'm yeah. getting at uh and so I would consume uh books and tv anything to do with the world like the natural world anything to do with farming anything to do with the countryside i I loved it and still love it um so in terms of the, of the vetting side but i think i suspect and this is all with the benefit of hindsight that my mum and dad being lovely middle class parents that they are uh they say right he is good at science um he wants to work with animals i know we'll just gently gently caress him towards a, a, a profession which is is you know a very sensible thing to do it's worked for many generations <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> That sort of, I don't remember thinking at any point oh, I'm going to be a vet because I suspect that decision was sort of made for me. Not, not in an overbearing way, but like I said, almost like the invisible hand uh, yeah. of an Irish mother. Just, just, just push, just, just gently nudging me in the right direction. So, uh, yeah, that, that was sort of the, the, yeah, back in time, back, you know, when before, I cannot remember wanting, like deciding to be a vet, but I've always wanted to be a vet. 
fast forwarding a bit through school into school i um you just you just kick on and try and find places you know what i mean having not really any connections in the farming world you you just do it like um, and, and again i had the luxury of parents who who had some time and the resources to sort of try uh, ferry me back and forth that's not something everyone has but uh, i worked on a city farm which which when you now talking about it as a farm you almost smile but because it's you know, maybe five acres but it's five acres on stepney city farm still going still a fantastic organization it's more of a social enterprise than anything but uh, you know they it's still a working farm yeah and and you and i love working with farmers dare i say it, one thing they can be a bit guilty of is is simultaneously sort of wanting to keep a closed shop and equally saying there's no interest or people don't understand agriculture. And I don't think you can have it both ways. So this was a great sort of, um, what's the term, shop window for agriculture. And, and, and it, like, well, that, that's not how I thought about it at the time. I just wanted to go and work with cattle and sheep and that was the only place in, in 50 miles so like that had them. Uh, and then, you know, a few other placements were organised by teachers. I went lambing uh, in, in sort of mid Wales. I went dairying in County Antrim and, and then applied for vet school and got in. That was just, it's, it's um, I mean, a, a five acre place uh, in the middle of London is probably worth the same as our 2000 acre place. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not an embarrassing thing to have. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it would be, it was, it's a real, yeah. If, if anyone's in East London, listening i'd recommend you go and there's actually a whole community of, of city farms and they all they're all quite different because they all started in quite different ways this was really a a, a site which had been bombed in the second world war and essentially was derelict for a few decades and then some people came and squatted and they had a few goats and it became a city farm you know and it just and it start, they all started very organically you know there was no no five point plan to starting a city farm mm -hmm. hippies with some goats uh, but the, 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 the principles are all the same, yeah? I yeah. mean, if, if you're working with one animal compared to 10,000, yes, there's obvious differences, but the principles are the same. Um, I mean, especially from what, what side you're interested in. And I, it's, it's quite interesting to hear you say it's almost like a, I know embarrassment, but like a, uh, oh, I shouldn't say that my parents sort of guided the, the where I wanted to go. I mean, I think we all do. I mean, my mum and dad, always said they never guided me into farming and, and that's right I hated farming when I was younger and um, they arguably guided me away from it I didn't want to do this <laughs> and they, but then over time you see what your mum and dad do and, and maybe they don't even realize they're guiding you into a life that they've been happy within and, and why wouldn't they they, they direct their kids in, in that manner so it's, it's not not in any way a bad thing um, starting to sort of try out a bit of farming throughout the country which is quite good um, but how how did that you, you said sort of um it was always handy to have a mum and dad that would would ferry you around and, and I was the same. Luckily mine were tied to it could only be on Aaron and they could only maybe take <laughs> yeah. me about twelve miles and that was about as much, but always taking you is always helpful and, and it's it's a privileged position that both of us for that example were in. Um how did you, as someone who didn't have the connections or ties in the industry, find that city farm? Did you just hear about it and go? Or, yeah, how did that come about? I used to go when I was little. So my dad <laughs> yeah. would, would, would take the three of us and our brother and sister, take us around on every other Sunday um, morning. Uh, right. 
no that so so i used to go when i was very little and then my mum and dad suggested it when i was i started when i was about 11 um so they at that stage they would let's say take me in the car to and from um once or twice a weekend and then when i got to about 14 i started taking the <coughs> tube by myself there um so it's it's sort of it was it I didn't play many sports at school. That was the other thing. You know, I was a bit of a couch potato and not it's sort of the unholy triad of no talent, uh, no interest and no parental sort of, and that was one thing they didn't nudge me towards at all was, was sport. So it was like that unholy triad. And uh, yeah, so I, ha I had my weekends free. Uh, so I didn't, wasn't playing rugby or football or hockey. I was, yeah, uh, running around after sheep and goats, which all my friends thought was totally strange. <laughs> I guess it is in London. Yeah. Um, I guess it is, yeah. Um, whereas in the country, it's opposite, opposite way around. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's actually quite cool to hear someone who's in a total rural industry that came not from not from that rural background. Um, you mentioned that you, uh, you you went to vet school and then the sort of rest is history. Going to vet school doesn't just happen, Kaz. Uh, you've also mentioned you had no talents. Vet school is not just, oh, God, I've got to find something to do after school. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, <laughs> did you did you know, and you'd obviously sort of been guided slightly, but before yeah. you got those hires and some and such, you were you were aiming for vet school before then? Yeah, you sort of, <clears throat> just by the dint of what you want to do for A-level, which obviously we do down here, um, you sort of had to start making a decision and, and start thinking about where you're going. Probably, probably when you're about to start your GCSEs or, or during your GCSEs, maybe 15, 16. Uh, and, and what does it actually entail? I mean, the first thing's fair. Uh, when I say I have no talent, I mean like sporting talent. I've got loads of talent. Yes. <laughs> I like it. Confidence. It's good. Uh, no, but definitely none in the sporting realm. Uh, what you have to get right is the academics. Like you, like, and that is changing somewhat because actually I think it's possible that we've and people are starting to recognise that um, choosing your vets first and foremost on the basis that they get two or three A stars at A level or the equivalent at hires isn't possibly the most uh, apt um, selection criteria. But anyway, that's how it is and certainly <coughs> when I was applying. So I went to vet school. I started vet school in October 20... No, October 2011, so just over 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and what does, it, what does it actually entail? Uh, yeah, get doing the right subjects, right subjects. And most of them you have to do chemistry, a lot of them you have to do biology, and then a couple of other sciences, or it's another science, so, so maths or physics. So I did uh, chemistry, biology, physics, and I did classical Greek, because just another Why not? <laughs> Why not, hey? Uh, so yeah, as long as you've got those right, you're on a good footing. Depending on where you're applying to, which vet school, you need a varying amount of experience. So that, that goes back to doing these places. I mean, working on the sick farmers was a big one for me. You just, you just, this is one great thing about having to get into vet school is you have to pick up, like as a, as a young, as a teenager, I think a lot of us, and certainly me, had uh, an angst. Like, uh, you, you know, you were, the idea of going out of your comfort zone and and ringing, ringing someone up, like ringing a farm up or ringing a, a, a boarding kennels up. It's like when I went to a boarding kennel, um, you just have to overcome that. Like you just have to, you just have to get almost, almost uh, just disable your shame function 
and and just ring up and, and get used to people saying no to you. So academics, the experience, yeah, I went lambing that, talking about how I organize these things, asking people, that's the easiest way. Uh, and I was lucky enough that my maths teachers, in-laws had this lap, this sheep farm in, in mid Wales. It's lucky enough that um, my, again, again, it goes back to being middle-class that my, my mate's dad was a, a small animal vet. And so I went and saw a bit of practice with him and the same chat sort of chain owned a, a boarding kennels as well. And then the dairying side, I went to a real nice dairy farm in County Antrim and that was near where my mum's from. And so some, some mm -hmm. extended family knew them. Um, so, I mean, it seems like insurmountable, but it, it, the, just ask. Like, there's a yeah. great phrase here uh, in this part of the world, and in fact, it's probably Scottish, really, not just North London. But shy bairns get now, and I, I love that phrase because it's so true. Mm -hmm. Like, you, you don't ask, don't ask, don't get, isn't it? It's 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 brilliant. And do you know, what? I was not a shy bear. Uh, I think would be a fair comment. And you just. Yeah, picking up the phone and, and doing stuff is massive. And, and if you're doing that at 15, 16, folk think it's great. I've actually got quite a lot of it, listeners that, that are that age and are quite interested in farming. And that's sort of why I'm really reiterating this. I mean, it, <laughs> even if you're writing out your own name when you're phoning someone up, it's fine. Just <laughs> phone someone. It, make, it makes yeah. that really good impression. And um, what, what, what sort of size was the place in Wales? Welsh sheep farms uh are all massive. It was, it was big. I couldn't tell you that I was just so, uh, yes, for I was sure. so, like the, the, my eyes were like this wide, just actually seeing sheep lambing. You know, again, I've never seen that before. Real yeah. cool farmer, uh, a guy called Philip Kendrick, uh, who I've not been to since, but it, um, yeah, near Landrindod Wells. And it's a lot of Welsh shoes and some mules, I think. Right. Uh, but he was, he was really good fun. Like put us up. It, it's amazing when you go out of your way, how generous people can be. Like how, like they'll want just just stuff they do not need to do. Like they'll do, which, which again, again, going back to being from London, people. It's not. I don't think people are inherently less kind, but um, there's no, not. I think everyone's sort of focused on what they what they're doing, what they where they're going, uh, and they they look after themselves, right? And that's. I think that's a survival thing. <laughs> if you stop and say, like, if you stop and say hello to everyone. Uh, or smile at everyone you like, or say walking down the street and say how you doing you're not going to get anywhere where you go yeah. and and that 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 is a city thing that's not just london um and it's i always when i'm in a city i'm like you got i mean yes i mean if me and my dad walked down the middle of london it would be saying hello to everyone and it wouldn't last long you know <laughs> but i'm not saying that but i feel like people that are so in city life that don't have that how you doing i feel like you miss out on so much i think that's so oh, important you, you know you and the and the weird funnily enough i have one experience like that and it's with my dad and my so i said my before my dad's a gp and he was he, he worked for a long time where he grew up uh, probably about 20 <laughs> minutes away from where we were actually living so it's a lovely sort of very guardian reading enclave of north london called crouch end um and Crouch End's funny because it's a bit like a village in some ways because it's surround, it's sort of, there's no tube station in Crouch End, but it's sort of right. rings <laughs> by them. And so it's, it's almost quite insular uh, and it's real community. And people would stop my dad in the street because they recognise him as the local family GP, uh, family yep. doctor, and, and talk to him. And that, like, that to me, like as a child, it's like, what? <laughs> Why is this stranger talking to my dad? 
<laughs> so how bizarre. And, and I remember thinking that's really, after a while, I think that's, after the sort of uh, the, the being disconcerted wore off, um, thinking that was quite nice. And that's yeah. exactly what happens to me in Rothbury, where I worked, or, you know, or Annick, or one of the local towns. Um, and, and I love that. It's great. Yeah. Uh, but, but I remember thinking as a child, <laughs> what? I didn't even know these people talked. I thought, <laughs> I thought we were the only ones that talked right. to each other. Right? Don't give them any money, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, get on to, we'll get on to sort of vet school itself in a minute, Kaz. You mentioned the sort of, you have a, an idea that the sort of selection criteria might be changing. Does that, does that mean it's not just a AAAA type deal? Or? You've always needed plenty of experience. For sure. Right? A, a, a depending on <clears throat> which university you apply to. So from memory... Liverpool was the most stringent vet school in terms of you needed heaps like so many like a lot of weeks doing a lot of different things and partly I think that was that's double-edged sword as well because yes it shows you've got the get up and go and the wherewithal and the passion for want of a better word for it so that you've gone and it's almost not so much the experience that you've managed to go and get it mm-hmm. at the same time um one of the other critics criticisms or you know comments leveled at the profession is that it's pretty homogenous white anglo-saxon middle class as well which which is is not i don't know if you call it a problem but it's it's something we could be better on and and being able to go and get all those things like we said before consistently is easier for people of a certain background so that that's not changing i think that and i think that is still good i think we just need to make it easier for for other people to to get that experience in terms of the academics, yeah, because the problem is that school is always very competitive and the easiest way, like any competitive position, you know, course or, or role, is to just say, right, anything below these academic marks, we'll just weed them out. Like they'll, go, they, they'll go in the bin. Um, and, and yeah, I think part of it is being driven by the really high dropout rate. So, so this is something we've been wrangling with for a while as, as a profession. Um, I, I think, and don't quote me on this, think by it's either five or ten years out 50 percent of vets that graduate in the uk aren't practicing did you say 50 or 15 five zero jesus right so there's a there's a high attrition rate it, i don't and, and i could don't say so don't quote me on those figures no for sure yeah. is, is it is a high attrition rate there's a lot of people who do the five or six years at uni uh, and then and then move out I mean, perhaps that's moving out of clinical practice and that's again mm-hmm. that there because there are lots of not lots and lots of non-clinical roles and those people are still vets but still it's a lot of people moving out and so there's there's this panic uh amongst practices that there's, there's nobody to fill these roles i mean like the the occupant not the term the vacancy rate for the role for veterinary roles is is high 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 and same for same for nurses as well um and i think there's a lot of reasons ro- rolling into that one that people have mooted is um, are we selecting the right people at university? Now the right. universities will often say, well, we're, they're keen to do the job when we turn them out. What are you doing to them when, like, when they're out there? And that's definitely a factor. Um, I, I, in terms of like a, in terms of how they do it. And I, I don't know, I think it's still at the embryonic phase this, you know, and it's still the easiest means of, of cutting of, of, you're yeah. such a vet at the embryonic stage <laughs> yes still, still, yeah no, i'm trying to think of a better word no that is the right word uh it is it's it's but people are sitting up and taking notice mainly because a lot of the big veterinary employers are saying 
there's no one to do the like we are so so skeleton staffed that um we need more vets why why is the attrition rate so high is this one of the reasons yeah i mean every industry's got challenges done it <clears throat> um so what, what's can, I, can i ask you a question you absolutely can i probably won't know the answer but this this is a, this is a really interesting thing right and and i you can tell i i say i spend a lot of time driving other people might say i don't spend a lot too much time not working <laughs> about words right and uh, and the reason is the main reason is a couple of years ago i read a, a thing uh on the it's from an organization called the new citizenship project or something and they had a thing that this this manifesto um about the citizenship it's how it's basically but how people behave differently depending on how you frame them so okay. if you frame people as individuals they behave differently to when to how you when you frame them as consumers so say you ask four people um how you're gonna you know you're you're running out you've got a well running out of water you've got to share between the four of you um how how much do you trust your 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 co-individuals that like your, your peers and how willing would you be to reduce your own water usage when when the only difference is in that question they ask as consumers versus individuals the consumers are much less willing to share and also are more mistrustful of their their peers does that make sense uh-huh yeah yeah so, so going back to what you were saying the reason i picked it up is because one of my, and now i've listened to that i've become a real bore about it and um you notice things like veterinary and again veterinary isn't a, a noun it's an adjective veterinary medicine is a, is a profession i think and i i and, and that's i think that's different to an industry and actually when it comes to agriculture people talk about agriculture as an industry and yep. i think i think it is an industry but that's not all it is does that make do you, do you follow okay that? am well, i talking nonsense no, you're, you're not talking nonsense. It's quite interesting. Going back to the whale thing, I am very much the individual because I, when you were talking about that, I I would probably share too much. <laughs> um, and no, honestly, when I was considering what I would do, I, that's sort of how it would work. This really can, how how because you think oh this is words or like you're being like uh, you're being very academic about it, very ivory tower, but like just the simply asking these groups the same question but just changing that one word. And framing them as either individuals or consumers, yeah, changed their uh, outlook. You know, it's really, um, it's really interesting. But I'm, I'm I sort of cut you off there. You, what, what instead of of industry of an industry as agriculture? So that I don't know. I, I right. medicine is a profession, and uh, a profession to me is 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 so that it's it's different to a trade. Um, so like there's a I think there is a fundamental difference between being a vet or a doctor or a lawyer compared to being a um plumber or a bricklayer. I not not in a not in a superior sense, but I think it's to do with the having an external regulating body. So as far as more there's not an external regulating body of of a lot of trades of or of trades. It's if, as a vet or a dentist or a, or a whatever, you know you are you have to abide by professional standards because for sure you're in shit or you, you hopefully that's how you feel about it but i i think that definitely will be a thing and and the other industries you mentioned yeah. i don't think as let's take plumbing for example you go out and you plumb a house <laughs> don't ask me when i bought this flat my first day i flooded it but um <laughs> literally <laughs> um the 
I'm sure there will be bodies there that that have different rules as to how, and I'm going to sound so rubbish at this here, how pipes have to be installed, how all that sort of thing has to happen. I think there's always going to be that. And looking at it as a profession, you, you I don't know how much you require a, a, a qualification, but most will have one. Yeah. And, and the regulation, I'm sure, will be there. I see what you're saying. And when you're saying profession, I'm sure there's a word that I think fits it better, but I can't think. It's, it's interesting what you're saying, though. So, so yeah so so for sure like for the trades there will be people who regulate them but i think they won't be made up of people from their own or mostly you know won't be, won't be self-regulating does that make sense there's not a body of okay yeah of blah 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 or or or, or, a, or a national such and such council so so definitely they're regulating and i don't mean I, I, it's really difficult to talk about this without being sounding really arsy and like you're at a dinner party and no I, th- I think if you can take uh, out the fact that you're, <laughs> you're not sounding that's fine like uh, yeah, yeah you can talk it's, about it's just a difference i think you know um it's it's just a difference and and um it's more external like it's more like uh yeah there, there and there certainly there are standards but it comes down to perhaps more generic bodies like trading standards to, to yeah um agriculture i don't i think it deserves its own word i think it it a cult culture might be the best thing for it like it's because it's yes it is an industry but when you go out and but but that i think when you you frame it like that you really like what it's easy to limit it or or because it's you go into a farm it's not a biological sh- factory floor in my yes life. yeah really because we can get vets can get really caught up with that as well because what you know we're trying to for reasons of, of trying to connect with our farmers and find out what motivates them so we can motivate them to, mm-hmm. to, to, to make positive changes for the livestock. It's easy to get carried away and think like think think exactly like them like, or, or think exactly how we how we think they think. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and like for example, chasing yield or ch- you know, mm-hmm. and, and we forget that lots of our farmers, that's not just what they're like that's not what they care well it's, it's a lot of what they care about but it's not mm-hmm. yeah well th- there's there's sustainability works in a lot of different ways doesn't it you've got financial sustainability you've got sustaining your animals to high enough standard that, and that, that's probably your two biggest battles going on enough in a livestock farmer's head yeah. um yes and culture is a good one when i was trying to work of a word i had way of life which is not a word but you know that sort of culture thing is is probably a big one yeah, I'm going to be thinking about this a lot, and I feel because of now, that we should probably jump on. Um, yeah, and, <laughs> and again, it's it's not the last thing I want to do is like uh, come off superior because, but it's so, so easy to do that and <laughs> sound like a real <laughs> sound like trying to one up everyone. So yeah, it's not it's not an industry; it's a culture. And like, I, I hate it if it became that, and you just become the new wokists or whatever. But. Uh, I think it does matter that that's that citizenship document really did um, was a bit of an inflection point because for me because I was like oh sugar like it's not just words like that although it is sorry it is just words and yep. it just takes words to frame things in such a way that in our little plasticine minds that um, it, that can have big big effects yeah yeah you can tell Kaz is just one of those folk that has like one of those elite brains and what he's actually doing at the minute is channeling us into thinking how he wants us to think. Um, he's like an Elon Musk. Uh, <laughs> just richer. Uh, Jedi. I just think I don't do enough work, I think, is probably what most people will think. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I fairness, I film 
podcasts all the time, so maybe I don't either. <laughs> uh, so tell us about vet school. What happens? It's always it's. I think when we we think about and this isn't me saying you're perfect. You've done that. No, I'm joking. Uh, that you know that that the when I always looked at things as as what was the hardest things to do, you always hear of the rocket scientists and all that sort of thing. That's like way at the top. Next to that, I've always seen your vets, your um, uh, doctors, you know, that sort of thing. All that sort of thing comes in very high up and and lawyers, that, that type of thing. And when we hear about getting into that, it's a lot. So what is this? Five years, isn't it? What's involved? Yeah, six. And the reason six. for that is I, I did an intercalation. So and that's basically where you take a year out. The, the vet, most veterinary degrees are split up between a preclinical stage where you're learning the fundamentals like your anatomy, biochemistry, and so on. Yeah. Uh, and a clinical where you go out on it and, and you learn how it's put into practice. Mm -hmm. Lots of vet schools offer a sort of um, almost like a, a sandwich filling. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You take a year out, do a degree, get that under your belt, and then um, and normally it's some sort of biological science but in theory you can do whatever you like mm -hmm. the difference was for where I went to uni everyone did it like it was all the medics all the vets it was built into the course so after three years so you did your two years preclinical mm -hmm. anatomy biochemistry uh, learning about pharmacology pathology and then you do your you choose something you want to do for a year I did zoology because after second year of vet school uh, we called it zoo holiday much to the irritation of of the natural scientists because this was their actual well it was you know it was their degree right? <laughs> they didn't really like us for that or we said they hated it when we said we we're on a year off or a year out um anyway did that got the natural sciences degree um some of my friends did, some of my friends did economics or or sort of edgy ones did uh, history and philosophy of science or biological yeah. anthropology or even engineering stuff like that as i say i went for the pretty vanilla zoology and then and then three years of clinical and all that time you're doing placements so again for the pre-clinical placements you're doing like on farms sort of um, a lot some universities would call them animal husbandry um, mm -hmm. ems ems is, is just a really old-fashioned term for placement it stands for extramural studies if you studied latin you know that means studies outside of the walls yeah so that wasn't greek that was latin that so was you latin. know more like right, okay right grand excellent uh, <laughs> So, so yeah, EMS, EMS, when I say, when I say EMS, I'm talking about placements. So preclinical EMS, so I went, um, I came up here, so to Northumberland, that starts the Northumberland sort of story. I came up here lambing, had a fantastic time, did that for a few years on the trot, you know, did dairying, uh, did pigs, uh, what else did I do? A few other bits and pieces here and there. Um, and then when you get to the clinical phase, like you're, you're those final three years, then you are doing clinical placements like in veterinary practices or, or similar. Um, so I went, a lot of vet students will have a home practice. They put like somewhere near to home, like their, their family home, uh, where they'll go and do lots and lots of placements. I, cause I wanted to be, I knew at that stage I, was, I wanted to be a farm vet or at least mainly a farm vet and being uh, in London, there wasn't really the, the, the farm practices. Even when you get out into sort of the Eastern home counties where I was East Anglia, that there's very few livestock and so very yeah. few farm vets. So I just sort of went, oh, I'll just go wherever. <laughs> Like, and just invited myself to my mates like sofas or my families and stuff like that so i went you know north, a couple of places in northern ireland I went to uh Fermanagh and i went to antrim i went to devon and cornwall i went to back here to northumberland 
went to Ohio State Uni, so I went and joined their final year vets on a great rotation. That's really, really fun rotation. Um, so you get you get to travel. I mean, like when you're talking, how hard is it? I mean, looking back on it, especially not that hard. <laughs> and I think I think again, I've I've had the luxury of being relatively good on the academic side. I don't think I'm particularly clever, but I'm good at relatively good at the academic. I know what you mean. Yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. And and veterinary medicine, especially, isn't uh, there's a different sort of hardness you know, or whatever you want to call it, uh, difficulty to to learning concepts uh, and problem solving versus simply simply l learning a vast amount of information and facts. Yeah. And that was a lot of veterinary medicine. It was simply, this is all the information you need to know. You don't need to think about the information. This is just what you need to know. And you, it's like trying, I just, it, was, it was about a different course at a different university, but it, it struck a chord with me. So it's like trying to drink from a, um, <laughs> like, like trying to drink from a fire hose you know like those, the ones there <laughs> you know it's like but i had a great time still it was the only different only sort of i'm a fairly like positive um person mainly because nothing very negative has ever happened to me but uh it, it the only thing that ever sort of i found challenging or more than an academic level um was was going to uni and realizing a I would have to work a bit like I, and I wasn't the smartest per, not smartest I wasn't the most academic person in the room yeah yeah so not automatically being at the top of the class really dented my rather fragile teenage boy ego because that's all I had like I said in <laughs> sports <laughs> so <laughs> you, but you come and that's good that's healthy right I think yeah. it's like being realizing you're not the shit like you are just average um uh, and and you sometimes you have to work for some stuff so so yeah there was a lot of learning <clears throat> uni i went to the, the at least in the pre-clinical years the terms were only eight weeks long so yep. it was you were, you were out of uni more than you were in but those mm -hmm. eight weeks were pretty intense but you're just packing a lot you know what i mean just packing yes. a lot of special stuff uh, one term i got really obsessed with trying to do really well and like I tried to sleep in three hour shifts and thought I'd have loads of caffeine and thought I'm really going to nail it. And it just was a disaster. <laughs> it was uh, like, I, I did one time. It was like, nah, this is not, this isn't working. Um, it's, it's actually quite funny when you say that, like you say, um, realizing you're not the shit. Like when, when I went to uni, I realized that was that statement without the, the, um, yeah. oh, and, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, uh, and I, I was not great at uni. I mean, until fourth year, I, I was dreadful. And, uh, I was really good at school and that coming into first year and be like, why can't I pass anything? was so annoying. Um, but then in fifth year, I really went like, I am focusing on this yeah. so hard and I went too far. Like, like you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that, well, that's, isn't that part like what you need? What, well, you need or for other people like that time of their life is about, isn't it? It's about like uh, finding the limits. Like yeah. A, getting a reality check. And be like finding the limits. It's a safe, it's a safe space to do all that in, right? Uh, and and so talking about how hard it was, you know, like <clears> it's <throat> to, to uh, vets, we can be bad for this about navel gazing a bit and telling ourselves stuff's hard. Like I still wasn't working for a living. Like I, wasn't, I still yeah, wasn't, yeah. wasn't paying tax. Like it still wasn't like uh, you know, it was. It, it's all relative. And I had a good time. I made some great friends. I did learn a lot. I got and I, I never. I, I never 
like struggled, but it was just not being, yeah. you know, that, and, and it was more, it was more ego, like I say. Uh, so, so did that and I really enjoyed the placements and um, had some great lecturers as well. Like I still, and, and yeah, you, you, you still did do some great social stuff. And again, where I was, it, you're sort of, you're, you're more detached from the veterinary cohort in those first few years. So I had, I had friends who were like quite a diverse, diverse bunch of friends. So like engineers and historians and musicians. Yep. Uh, and then you go on, you, but you still have your veterinary social stuff to go to, sort of like a double whammy. And I, I was listening to Hazel's podcast, and she mentioned the, I think, the AVS weekend, the, the veterinary student sports weekend. Yes, that's right. That's right. Fantastic. Like, and and we, our university had a real poor attendance rate. So if you went from ours, it was like you were a celebrity, and and people <laughs> meet you. Like it was fantastic. Uh, like yeah, I went I went to Liverpool, Dublin um bristol and, and london on the uh on the sports weekend it's fantastic so, how hard was it i mean it was sort of hard ish at times yeah. like there was never real any risk uh, and i certainly like people will lead harder lives yeah I, I think you put that really well i mean i didn't do a vet degree but i did a master's and everyone's like oh it must be really hard i think the hardest part is to i didn't find this hard but i think the biggest challenge is staying motivated for that period of time I think that's probably the biggest challenge. If you can manage that, you're fine. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, The Scottish Farmer, and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Um, but I uh, grew up, Grew up in London, now uh, you're in Northumberland and we had a bit of a joke when you were on Cammy's podcast that if it's not Northumberland, uh, it's not good enough. Uh, and if it's not large animals, it's also not good enough. <laughs> um, one, okay. how did you end up there? And two, why do you hate everything? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'll start with the first one. Uh, so, like I said, the actually you said you know how I said I I've been lambing as a student like in six <clears throat> when I got to because lambing is one of the placements you have to do as a as a preclinical student. I thought I'll just go. I really like that guy. I really like the farm. I'll go back there. But being me, I left it too late, and he had a couple of Nottingham students already lined up. So I said, Ah, oh, sorry about you know. Yeah. I said, Oh, it's okay uh, because the tutorial office from the vet school. Like at that, so this was like the first term of first year, so you know October or November. They were always sending through requests from farmers, um, looking for students. And, you know, I'm talking about a few a week, you know, at least right. every day. And I thought that's that's cool. I'll just the next one that comes through, I'll I'll just talk to you, <laughs> you know. And then the minute I started looking or started waiting, like there were none for two weeks. <laughs> Typical. And, and then like the first one that came in, the, you know. Two weeks later, came in and I was—I didn't even look where it was. Just uh, emailed them back saying I'm looking for a placement, essentially. Blah blah blah. Um, I spoke to farmer Graham on the phone. Straightforward enough. Boom, done. Um, then I looked at where it was. And for those of you who aren't from, you—you like, have a probably a relatively diverse within the UK, like geographical. I was about to say readership, uh, listenership. Yes, I would say so. Yeah. So, yeah. so again, we, we all live in our little like silos, don't we? But I had no idea where Northumberland was. Like, and I looked, 
when I looked at it, it's on the East Coast. So it's basically st- almost exactly like a straight line north from, from London. Yeah. It's, it's bloody far north for me. Like it was. <laughs> and that's how it felt. Because you know what my metric was? I said, Le-, I looked at the map and said, Leeds is halfway. I was like, Leeds, <laughs> Leeds to me was like the, 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 the heartland of Northern England. Leeds is halfway. That's the uh, Leeds us from. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Look, there's Scotland. That's what I said. I think something like that. Anyway, I'd, I'd organise it. Came up, funnily enough, uh, going back to how I'm, you know, you can be academic and it doesn't make you smart. Yeah. I didn't get off the train in time. Wasn't asleep, just didn't get off the train in time. Uh, so I went to the next stop. So, so the, the local stop here is Anmouth. Uh, didn't get off there. Went to the next stop, which of course was Edinburgh. So went to Edinburgh. In the meantime, so the hill farmers I worked with, they don't really. They at the time certainly they didn't really use mobile phones because on the farm there's no there's no zero signal. Uh, so so I couldn't ring the farmer to let him know I'd missed the tr- missed getting off. So I rang the their landline back at the farm, forty minutes away, to say I'm really sorry. I've, uh, I've, I've, I've going to Edinburgh, <laughs> like, like I'll, I'll ring you back down, got to Edinburgh. Uh, and, and this again, how I got into university, I have no idea because I, I, I decided I'd made an active decision when I'd left that morning from King's Cross well, to go to King's Cross um, and, and get the, the, the train up that I'm going to a farm. I'm not like, I'm not going to be leaving the farm um, have my tickets. I'm being fed. Why would I need my wallet? <laughs> so, so <laughs> any money no cards go to edinburgh like you imagine this silly skinny kaz uh getting to getting to edinburgh wellies in one hand bag of clothes in the other and being like i'm walking up to the um what's it, the, the train warden's office or whatever and going uh i've accidentally just stolen a train to scotland could i please can i please get a free train back down to uh Anmel? And they, they just laugh. And, and again, it goes to show you, like, when things go wrong, it, people will look after you. Probably yes, yes. You're devoid of some, some, some necessary circuit. But... Um, it turns out you're a vet. Are you a vet? Are you? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, so I got down. Funnily enough, I got down just before we came back to our mouth from the north. Uh, the train warden came up to me, like took me by the arm, and said, "You know, this is your next. This stop, this one, next one, don't you?" And I said, yeah, "Yes." <laughs> <laughs> Had a slightly frosty reception, understandably, uh, and then got back to the farm. It was the farmer's sort of partner who picked me up that time. He he'd waited there for an hour in the middle of lambing, uh, and, <laughs> and I, I said, "I basically said, oh, I'm really first time meeting these guys as well. Like, uh, really sorry." Um, and he said that was bloody stupid, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was. Uh, but then the next, pretty much the next day, it was uh, whether it's forgiven, but like it was, they, they they didn't hold a grudge, and and I, I sort of perhaps that was the the sort of magic ingredient. So I thought from then, Christ, I've got to make a good show of myself here because I've not got off on the right foot. I had a really good time, and by the end of the two weeks, we were just joking about it, and I went back there. So this is in a little village, Alwinton Farm in Alwinton, which is a tiny little village right in the Coquit Valley where I work yeah. now uh, in Northumberland. Uh, I went back there for another three placements, stayed with them while I went and saw practice with the local practice, uh, the vet practice, and, and 
the guys I was seeing practice with there ended up offering me a job just after finals. And that's how I ended up there. That wasn't my first job, though, because they didn't open. It was they were opening a new practice. And that, that didn't open until six months after I graduated. So my first right. job was in lovely Castle Douglas. Lovely CD. Oh, was it? Good to call it, yeah. What, what, vet, what vet was that? Dunmuir Vets. Dunmuir. There, and there are a lot of vets in Castle Douglas. There are a lot of vets in sort of that uh, sort of Dumfries and Galloway area. Yeah. This is a great place to farm. Great place to be a livestock yeah. farmer because uh, it's just got that you know, good countryside. And the I, viewers from, from Dumfries, he's saying that because I know what he said the last time we talked about <laughs> it wasn't the Thumberland. <laughs> it's just wet. I think that was my, my only complaint. It was it was very wet. And go, oh, go, you need the water for the grass growing for the dairies, yeah. you know. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but I, I had a really nice team there and I, I went there on on the... Um, I'll, I'll try to be very honest that, you know, from the start um, that I had a job lined up in. I, I, so I graduated in July, started there in the September and I was going on to my next job yeah. uh, in, North <clears throat> in January. So I, uh, yeah, I, but I still had a really good time there. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's a lovely part of the world. And is, is, is that place that you got six months after you finished where you still are? Yes. Yeah, it's black, so, but a... Uh, Black Health. It's got That's a real, it. a real awkward name, and 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 I won't bore you. So so, uh, the farm health. So why why aren't we like black sheep vets? Well, first of all, there is a black sheep vets in somewhere in Lincolnshire. Uh, right. What and and to you, I think my colleagues who were setting up the practice at the time to use vets in the title of a practice, you actually get have to get special dispensation from right. the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. And who are the regulatory body and they i think it was more the faff while they're doing everything else mm -hmm. the other thing was um they thought farm health might be a bit more holistic trying to like encompass i agree i think it's more inclusive as well it just feels yeah, yeah. the only thing is people people always ring us thinking we're agricultural merchants <laughs> like, <laughs> no, but so uh, and there, there are other things going on like like the, the practice did get a, like a leader grant um mm -hmm. to, to, or some leader money to set up and you sort of had to show you how you're a bit different. That's all part, you know, lots of things going on. So yeah. Black Farm Health and the Black Sheep was, was, was partly because my colleague Jenny keeps Zwarbles. Right. Uh, and partly because it was, a, a, come out with it, it, it was a breakaway from where my colleagues had been working. So, which was a, then, a, well, is a corporate practice now. Right. Okay. I get And uh, what, what was your, what was your main focus? As of it, what, what do you focus on mainly? Now, we know it's large animals, but yeah. yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, uh, un unlike <laughs> most vets, so, so like 80% of vets go out and just do small animals now, um, which is which is absolutely fine. That's where people need, you know, we've moved to very much away from agriculture in this country and towards companion animals. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's something like 12% 12, 12 of vets end up going to do mixed and maybe 8% or so do farm owner or like yeah right. so it is so i i am just farm animals so when you say like not even horses like occasionally see the old horse mm -hmm. uh, normally it's it's just to give it a jab or it's flu and tet um but just farm uh and being where we are we're quite unusual again in that we've got no dairy currently no dairy cows in the practice for most farm vets and I'm generalizing in this country, they are dairy vets because okay. dairy cows just 
they 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 even in, in low input systems they they do require that much more intervention. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, especially all year round calving herds. You know, the vets there every it might be every week. You know, if not every at least every month. Um, doing the scanning uh and while they're there they'll talk about mastitis and lameness and young stock um and dare i dare i say it the modern dairy modern holstein frisian has has um perhaps that's a good example of where we've thought of uh the producing milk as the milk industry and the yes yeah might you know the rates of lameness and mastitis and not getting back in calf are sort of they're pretty bad like they are yeah i agree entirely a better word, that they're bad like and and if more people knew it more people wouldn't drink milk and eat cheese mm-hmm. but, um so so when i that sort of i think possibly we've thrown everything onto the fire everything onto the bonfire in in uh, chasing milk yield yeah uh, not not even milk solids not even the sustenance of it yes mm-hmm. anyway that's me slagging off dairy. No, it's, it's it's funny you say that. I, I just just quickly on that, I completely agree. And quite often we'll have a chat with students and stuff. Um, that a question I always ask is is do you think death is a harm? And I personally don't. And I think it's something you really have to think about. But if you don't, then meat is less harmful than milk. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's all about the life, big, isn't it? I think. Yeah. Um, because everything has to die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. if you're alive you die that's the deal isn't it yeah. um so 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 going back to you know the the the, the modern holstein frisian is like a formula one car she needs mm-hmm. people fine-tuning her all the time keeping at the right temperature feeding her just the right stuff you know titivating her and all sorts including the vet and so it entails a lot of work and uh the other those other areas i talked about mastitis control young stock um, the vet is always there. The vet always has their foot in the door. Uh, that's mm-hmm. Whereas in Northumberland, by dint of, of probably the culture more than anything else, there just isn't that same culture of daring. We've got a good ground that we use for daring, but I think, I think because it's mainly flat, it's been used for arable. I, I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a quirk, and I've, I've not got to the bottom of it. Um, and so, so the remaining livestock is, is really beef and sheep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the vast majority of it suckler cows and she, you know not even dairy beef we've got a couple of calf rivers but really pretty thin on the ground really cool. um and and those though those guys they they don't have that same uh a few di- quite a lot of differences they don't have that same uh reason for us to be there all the time mm-hmm. um and with the, what the milk guys what they do have one of the benefits of watching yield from each cow every day is that when something goes wrong, you get you know about it the next milking. Yes. Whereas, yeah. at, say for example, our suckler guys, uh, often they'll only know when they come to wean the calves if they yeah. if they record that anyway. Uh, <clears throat> so so that that's the flip side. So so uh, building on the on the shoulders of giants this isn't me. I've only I only arrived in Northumberland in 2018. Definitely, it goes to the, you know that's that's on the decades of of vets before me. Yeah. But there's there's a good clientele here. Going back to one of Thumbland's best everywhere else is shit. Uh, there's there's a there's a really good client base, and it's two way. So to the farmers have to ask for that service for the vets to offer. You know, vets are busy, yes. just like farmers. Vets are busy people, um, and so if they're if they're constantly busy with 
with scanning empty dairy cows or, or, or dealing with, you know, a lot of practices are mixed still. So they might, you know, that they may well be very busy with the just companion animal work. If no, oh, yes. if no one says, look, I, I'd quite like to do an antibiotic order or, or I'd like to work out how I can get more of my cows in calf or how I can wean more cows or I had a really bad do with pneumonia in the back end. And I don't, I, that really made me quite unhappy. And I want to, to work through it rather than simply buy a crate of Drax in each year. Um, so that sort of work and the sheep's similar again, even more so. Uh, trying, try, and I, we've by no means got it sewn up, but um, there's no, when you look at some of the big practices down in the southwest of England, for example, yeah, yeah, really like what I would consider some of the best livestock country in Europe, if not the world. Um, okay. They have far more cattle, beef cattle and sheep than we do in terms of density you look at the farm census data it's not that we have loads of cat, beef cattle and sheep up here it's just that's all we have yeah uh, and actually we've got fewer than other parts of the country so if i was a young vet and i for some reason i was wedded to devon and i didn't mind all the tb testing i would be thinking how can i carve my niche for the a provide a great service for the farmers that mm -hmm. deserve it and and it is going to see it's a service that you definitely see a return on investment from if you're a farmer and somewhat not selfishly but at the same time things have to be real things have to be sustainable mm -hmm. carve out a niche myself um in the practice i would be looking seriously at, at beef and sheep because they've got heaps of beef and sheep animals so yes. there's a vet called emily gascoigne and that's really exactly what she's done she works for a big practice called synergy farm health down in <coughs> sort of, they kind of cover several counties but it's mainly dorset and and she uh she's probably five years older than me perhaps and she's really done a great job of being the go-to you it's amazing how quickly you become the go-to yep. person so beef and sheep there's a and then in amongst that you've got still got this fun stuff you know like i mean not that you've got the the different stuff like smallholders and mm -hmm. camelids and a, and some goats got some meat goats and, and some and some smallholder goats which are good fun uh and game bird work do a bit there's this shooting quite big right. up there. uh and so there is at certain times of the year and um, some game bird work mainly that's post-mortems and trying to you know because it, it's a bit like pig and poultry specialist work it's extremely at their sort of herd or flock health end of the spectrum isn't the normal answer they were shot no <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring that back. Uh, um, yeah well I, it's funny when you were talking there i was frantically trying to find that photo i sent you but I could not find it um, of the, the Drake one, you know, the hotline bling. A messenger with me and Cammy. Well, I thought that, but I can't find the group. The group. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Most people listen on Spotify. <laughs> and I say that to students because we have students with, you know, veterinary medicine is a great teaching profession. Like if you're a vet, you have to be a teacher. Um, and, yes. Uh, because there's this tradition of EM, and vet is changing a bit now not necessarily for the better but vets are some practices being paid to have students I, anyway okay talk about the, the the pros and cons of that but mostly it's unpaid placements because we all did it ourselves and it's all yep. it's, it's all part of the is paying it forward um and and i always tell our students i'm pretty blunt with them i say do you like tb testing if not steer clear of the entire southwest of the uk <laughs> <laughs> Like if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend there, just and they won't move. Like just get a new one. Make uh, <laughs> your own death. Uh, basically, north of I think north of and this is unfortunately it's a lot to do with TB. I yeah. hate TB testing and I hate TB. 
Uh, <laughs> Is there anyone that doesn't? Uh, <laughs> I one or two vets who said they like TB testing, which I think there must be something. There must be something wrong with them. There's an emotion there on that day as well, though. It's not just you know. Yeah, it's it's yeah. just um, and even <laughs> even if that weren't the case, even if it was totally neutral, um, it's a horrible. I find it a real horrible fiddly, fiddly job to do because it's a test. Like the skin, I'm talking about the skin test. The if no one knows what I'm talking, no one's seen a, a TV yeah, in the UK. But it, it's a two-day procedure. On day one, you get every animal through the crush. You you <coughs> have to go. You have to go. Well, where you're meant to go is if you divided the neck. If you're looking for an animal's neck from at the side, you divide it up into a front third and middle third and a back third. And where you're meant to go is the boundary of the front third and the middle third. If anyone's noticed, that's exactly where the the yolk comes on a on a crush, uh, uh, so so you have to get in there. This animal, especially when we work with beef, you know, obviously resenting you going. They hate when you go near their heads. You have to clip two patches. Hate that. Normally break your clippers. You have to measure with these ancient style calipers in milk down to the mill. They're the weirdest things. Those things like, like the, <laughs> yeah, exactly like down down to the the mill a millimeter how thick that skin is and you don't want to get it bloody wrong because if it turns out that's might be a reactor that's going to come back to bite you. So you're there all the time. This animal is is, is shaking and, and moving, rocking back and forth, and then you have to jab it twice into the skin on the top patch you've clipped with an avian tuberculin on the bottom yep. bovine, and you don't want to get that wrong. And kick, when you do have that, uh, a couple of hundred animals, you can easily. You can catch yourself putting them in the wrong um, patch, and again, that will really royally mess things up. Uh, you do that, and, and the first ten, ten, I, 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 I am in no position to complain because I, there are some vets out there in the UK in like parts of the southwestern Wales who are testing a thousand cattle a week themselves in the winter, whereas I probably test five hundred. Maybe a thousand, like a push, a thousand a year, my a year myself. A year, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and the, the guns you use to inject it are are like it, just antiquated, and they break so easily. And then you have to got change a needle, and you lose tiny bits in the straw. Uh, it's a basic. It comes down to the fact this test was designed at a very early start, I think, of the twentieth century for dairy cattle in buyers. And so you'd walk up. So this farm would have five cows. You'd walk up along. Get your scissors out, flip this little patch of hair in this in this, this freezing thing, which would be sitting there munching away, like not bothered. Uh <laughs> crush. And then you 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 do it stand perfectly still for you. So this is all before continental cattle, it's all before uh, you know modern crushes and hair. Yeah. And then and then you've got to come back three days later. Uh it's not so bad because you just have to you just have to feel where you, you've mm -hmm. clipped and only measure the ones that have a lump. And again, in this part of the world. Thankfully, we very rarely have anything to worry about. It's more the, but you still have to do it properly. Mm -hmm. um, so you're not expecting to find a reactor and, and touch wood. I've not found a reactor up here. I have found when I've, you know, found a reactor when I've been locating me elsewhere. And it's, that's pretty shit, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I've, I've been at one, I've been at one TV test and it was a reactor, a positive yeah. reactor. And uh, yeah, and, and it just, it just ruined the guy. You know, you're you're losing. He's only got like fourteen cattle, and yeah. he's got. You know, it's tough. So I'm only about it, and we uh, in the UK, similar to Scotland, the routine testing is only once every four years. When I went locum down in um, Abergavenny, a really good practice in Abergavenny in, in South Wales, similar to a lot of the high risk area, they're on. I mean, it's gone up to six monthly testing routine. That's like if you don't have TB, 
That's and it's all so that's two days work for the farmer, two days work for the vet. And best case scenario, you you're where you started. Worst case scenario, um, you can't sell any cattle, which you know, in the UK, obviously, a lot of our producers they, they don't you, you've got this division between suckler, like suckle calf or store mm-hmm. versus finishers. You know, if you're a breeder finisher, it's still irritating, but it's not so bad because you can send things direct slaughter. Um, and, and again, when you're in those high risk areas, if even if you're not down with TB, you if you want to sell something live, you have to get it pre movement tested. Yeah, it's a real it, it it would put me off being a vet, let alone being a farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so it, it, it's become so toxic and intractable. And I have massive respect for all the vets and all the farmers yeah. down there doing it. They've started, well, when I say they, I mean the Royal College uh, and, and the APHA, which is Animal Plant Health Agency, um, the Ministry, AFA, yeah, the Ministry, yeah. if you read James Herriot, right? Um, they, they've authorized the use of ATTs, which is an authorized tuberculin test. So it's a lay person. So that, I think there'll be more traction of that, especially in those high risk areas. Yeah. Uh, and there's so, still a lot of myths about TB. And, and I really would, yeah, it's, it's so hard to dispel and it's so mm. toxic. Uh, and, and so, so that's why I tell all the students to fake their own deaths and, uh, <laughs> and, and never go and get a job in the Southwest. And I say that tongue in cheek, absolutely. Yes, I hope so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have all the vets from all the practice owners uh, from like from Cornwall to flipping Staffordshire on the phone, just saying you bastard. No, no, I, I say that tongue in cheek because we need the vets down there, you know, to slog it yeah. out, and, and they're hundred percent doing their their thing, and and more power to them. It would if if I had to spend the next forty years of my career. TV testing every week, I would be pretty, and that that would impact negatively on me. And I, For sure. um, I and I don't like feeling unhappy. <laughs> no, I I get it, I get it, and, and I know it sounds daft as if everyone must be like that, but they're not. <laughs> I'm with you, I'm with you. Um, I'm conscious, Kaz. I think we're going to have to do at some point a a a R two was Kaz number two, but I want to quickly talk about YouTube. Um, yeah, it's why did that come about? Uh, partly because I, I won a GoPro several years ago and it was sat in the box and I sort of thought, ah, oh, it would be, people would like to watch this because people like main sort of the, your, your terrestrial TV veterinary programs like Yorkshire Vet would be the, the big one. Yeah. And also, so our mutual friend, Cameron of the Sheep Game, he had been doing it for a couple of years and he was having some good traction on it. So like typical, uh, people are going to have a terrible sort of representation of my character here, but I, I, I see a friend doing something. I think oh, I could do that. <laughs> <Get it. laughs> and so I just started. And, and, and I suppose, again, tongue in cheek, that's what I thought. But in reality, it's useful when you've got a friend you know and can ask because you think, actually, uh, I, they've probably, you know, when I'm doing this, I'm going to run into technical things <coughs> that I need to learn, know how to do. And I've got someone who's done it already, is, is a couple years ahead of me. And so I can constantly badger for. Yeah. Uh, advice which is what i do well i mean I, if i was going to say for those of you that don't know you won't know um there's a few of us in a group chat <laughs> yeah called farm creators which was which was your idea um and uh i don't know how i'm there i mean I, i'm just like i post photos of dinner you know <laughs> like why yeah, exactly. no. and, and sorry we, that that was sort of how it started why it started uh, is, is is yeah uh, i 
I've always enjoyed being creative. And and yep. and I sort of I sort of got to a point where I was a few years out. I'd settled into the clinical side of my um, sort of. You never you never the finished product as a vet like with anything, but yeah. but I'd sort of yeah those those big things I was comfortable with uh, that had a good rapport with the clients, and I was just looking for another challenge really. Uh, and other things like you know we all say people don't understand enough about agriculture or the ag and the wider agricultural world. Uh, I don't think enough vets do like not enough vet students. So I, one of my mission, like statements, if you like, is to make like farm vetting, like should be the creme de la creme of vets coming into it. You know, it should be rock and roll because it is yeah. it's a really great job. And yeah. last but not least is being from a non-agricultural background, a non-agricultural background, sorry. A lot of my friends from school and uni who, who aren't vets, they have no idea what I do on a base, on a, like a daily basis. Like they, sure. uh, and it was, it's quite hard to like they don't understand that you do different things based on different times of the year like it, it, they, it, it's easier to show them uh than, than tell them it, it, or you know verbally explain to them because i assume telling them some of the things that you come across they'd be like hmm <laughs> and that is what exactly <laughs> well asking him again yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh God, here we go. Um, the only thing hard to say than his name is what he's doing in the day job. Yeah. So, so that's <laughs> and it got it just got rolling, and it and 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 I've been, uh, I've just been really pleasantly surprised with, with how people like it and who watches it. You know, like it's it's amazing. And, and, and uh, the, the figures are by no <laughs> by no means like uh, special, but you put stuff on the internet, people will watch it or listen. Yeah, to it. it's it. brilliant. Like, I mean, we talk about that every. I just hate when Cammy shows his figures. I'm like, shut up, man. We know you're doing it, right? It, it interests me when, like, you and Carol and, and, and Joanne and stuff put stuff up, and you're like, it's so cool to think that this thing has been seen here, here, here. It's brilliant. Yeah. Thanks. I love to see it. It's good to see. Um, what's plans for the future with, uh, with well, I tell you what, I won't ask you that because um, you are a podcast fan and you will know the questions that are coming. Um, I just want to quickly ask, what does a normal day in the life of cams at work look like? Or is, is that not a thing? Is, is there not a yeah, normal? Sort of, sort of. So, so there is a, there's definite seasonal differences, right? Yeah. But if you ask me, I, mean, I we don't start particularly early. So I, COVID's knocked it all about a bit. But before COVID, I would get into the practice in Rothbury uh, for about half eight mm -hmm. um, and, and tap away on some computer stuff. I wouldn't necessarily have a, like a core, you know, I wouldn't be booked out on farm all day, every day. By For sure. Um, you do, a, you do a lot of the work of being a farm vet is, is off farm. Um, it's catching up with, with uh, various bits of paperwork. Uh, it's catching up with, it's doing research, you know, it's doing um, like research, phoning people, like phoning farmers, seeing how they're getting on. Have they done this yet? Um, have they done the, so have they done the BVD check test yet? For example, yep. I'm bringing farmers at this time of year and saying, uh, ringing labs, talking to other vets about things. That's one of the that's one of the best things about being a farm only vet versus being a, for me, a mixed vet doing farm. And the difference is because if your uh, if your practice manager or whatever sees you at a loose end or what they see as a loose end of an afternoon when you're when you could be making calls uh, or, or or reading around a subject, they'll send you straight into the afternoon consults because you're not any money and I, I i i see that as well but you're freed from that 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 drain. Sure. yeah uh so, so there's a lot of that 
again, this so like uh, busiest times would be actually May and June, not not um, uh, not like March and April. The carvings, were, I mean, I've been to a few carvings in the last couple of weeks, but carvings sort of trickle in through January, February, picking up a bit in March, plenty in April, uh, and then plenty in May, and then sort of by June, are sort of withering away. Same, similar for the lambings, but if anything, probably a bit tighter. Uh, start of the summer, lots of routine work. So we do uh, like a lot of bull fertility testing. Right. Uh, and then you're, you're tidying up some pre-turnout jobs before cattle go out, maybe castrating the odd one or, or, or dehorning. Yes. Uh, and then some August, pre, July, August, pretty quiet until the autumn carvers start. Uh, and then you, you're into autumn carving. Then you're into like the sheep fertility work. We do plenty of, so a lot of tuck testing, a lot of... Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, Perhaps over the summer you might do a bit of uh, ill thrifting because that's so you know lambs aren't growing so well. Investigating that, uh, and then by the time you get to October, November, December, you're starting to hit housing for cattle when you'll start to do PDing, so scanning, you know, scanning for pregnancy. Yes, uh, a lot of our herds do yonis testing at the same time. Um, so we're, we're and then and then you come around January, it starts to get a bit quieter, uh, and we're doing things like BBD check testing. Uh, trying to do more more in the way of testing before treating so using like the fluke fl liver fluke antibody tests and stuff like that so 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 in terms of specific jobs there's not a typical day but look normally i'm in work i'm working 8 30 to, to half five and then i'm on call maybe first on call one in four so like one in okay four, yeah and then one in four weekends um the sort of clients we have because like i say they're so brilliant uh we don't have a lot of out of hours work and it genuinely this does change i talk about varying between the the seasons varying across the country in other parts of the world where perhaps farming is more so not hobby but like people have a lot more sort of nine to five jobs the vet yeah. there will get heaps of phone calls at like half five when people are coming in from their their day job yes and they've just seen Oh sugar, I've got this. This animal's dying. Like I was talking to a young vet locally working for another practice. She'd been over to, I won't say where it was, uh, but a different part of the UK. Uh, not Northumberland. Not not north. Not <laughs> and and so she said she was she was like again pretty like amazed because they she'd been there for I think a week or two and one week they dripped seven calves or something. Uh, by drip I mean putting an IV drip for a really a really dehydrated calf. Um, I I haven't put a calf in a drip since graduating. That was like nearly four and a half years ago so it, it there's a difference in the sort of work we do and again I, that's building off the you know shoulders of giants and stuff but you you mentioned about that teaching part wasn't there there's part of your job is is now not just giving your clients a fish it's teaching them how to you know and, and that oh, definitely definitely yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and it's it's there are some jobs i think Which, it's right sort of remain in the veterinary the strict veterinary sphere stuff like surgery you know with yeah. you know invasive procedures but as much as we can teach people because it's especially with the changes to bps like we I, I if i want to be a vet a large animal vet in this area in 40 years time or how many years time the farms need to be there like we can't just say all right we'll take the money now and sure. uh, we'll, we'll live at large and we'll not think about you know our yeah. farm there and the, and the, and the long-term sustainability of their businesses and, and welfare of their sh animals, because we, I can't say that because I, I, I'm in this for the long haul. Yeah. So, uh, 
I need them to be there. Like it's in my interest for them to be there in the long term. So, so by 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 teaching them to fish, if you like, it's not it's not engineering ourselves out the process at all, but it's being realistic with what they, especially in the future, are going to get be getting us out to. Yeah, I mean, you you could look at that sort of idea of um, short term. It doesn't make business sense for a vet to make their farmers better at doing vet stuff <laughs> you know but long term there's that obvious uh, and, and if, like, if they're not there that, and plus there's, there's ethics come into that as well you know yeah and also like sometimes it's just the right thing to do it's just for sure yeah just to, to, to there's a difference between like safeguarding and gatekeeping that's, that's yes definitely you know? definitely um good well it's, it's been it's been great to chat and you know generally i've actually considered i've been through my head it could be quite cool to do a chat, maybe get even like yourself and Hazel or something and do like a sort of live with a couple of vets and chat yeah. about things that happen. I'm just thinking now, and that might be quite a cool idea. I'm conscious that I'm just about to have the, the doorbell go off, which is genuinely sounds like an alarm's about to, to, <laughs> to, to shut the place down. So if that does happen, we'll quickly do a cut and, uh, to the last two questions for Kaz. But um, you know them, Kaz. If, if, if uh, you had tips for anyone coming into veterinary, what would they be? And where do you see yourself in five years? <clears throat> uh, so the first one is the one thing students always seem to consider or worry about, perhaps, is what at the start of your career, which mix of species should you do? Um, and we talked about that, why I enjoy doing only farm. Um, for, there are lots of reasons. It's, uh, if you're a young vet watching, the, if, you're, if you're at that stage, you're already in vet school, um, first of all, don't worry about it because you, 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 you can just change like halfway. Yeah. There, you know, there are vets who've done 20 years, say being a small animal cardiologist, you know, full specialist, and they turned around and gone, I want to be a sheep vet. And they, they do, you know, and you can. So do, A, first of all, don't worry too much about it. And B, try some things, do what you like. Like it, the, the, the best mix of species is the ones you want to do. If you're talking about um, prospective vet students, so people wanting to get into vet school, yep. I would say uh, take advantage of any connection you can uh, and otherwise pick up the phone. Pick up the phone um, uh, and, and look at transport's a big thing you know i know it's, it's pretty mundane but work out any hook or by crook if you find a placement how you're going to get there trains planes automobiles like or or how you're going to get 80 miles past it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> take your wallet with you okay uh, no so persistence and and that will stand you in excellent stead when you're at vet school when you're a vet because it, it's a it's about proactivity so that would be my and and along and if you're at school just work on getting the academics right. Yeah. That's the, that remains the biggest thing. You can have all that experience, but if you haven't got your, whatever it is, at least three A's, A level. You, you'll so I would I would say in your industry, that's the biggest challenge. I mean, once you get to 17, 18 and stuff, you get your life ahead of you to try and push that next five or six years, make sure that works and learn. But that discipline as a kid is tricky. That's yeah. the... Yeah, yeah. And that's why I think it comes down to parents often. And that's perhaps, sure. that's one of the reasons mooted why... Uh, there are so many more girls in vet school than boys because someone someone came up anyway said to me the trope that girl, girls are more organized than boys i'm not sure i believe it but it's, i think in school that could be believed i think younger girls are more organized than boys yeah i think girls become adults a bit quicker perhaps yeah yes maybe that, maybe that's what it is yes i, I don't think in general and no. as adult people that we are now old people that that's the case you know but, yeah 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 so that would be my advice 
and where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, ju- just not necessarily doing the same, but like I'm, I'm a, I've brought into the practice, so I'll still be here. I hopefully will have made it to New Zealand and back on a sabbatical. Um, that's just the, just ironing out the administrative things with that. Yeah. Uh, but just just at the helm of a of a of a sensible sized practice. Uh, doing good work and um, hopefully there'll still be some farm beef and sheep farmers in five years time <laughs> after after our beloved government has tried to gut them but well hey, 20, five years time 2029 20, it'll be gone gone by then 2028 is the last day and oh sorry 2027 no, i've got a bad habit uh, people think i'm being serious of talking tongue-in-cheek and stuff sometimes i think i do it so often uh people I, yeah, you people could be, be forgiven the thing. It's how I actually think it's going to be challenging. Yeah, but, but I mean, will it be more challenging than BSC or or foot and mouth or or any of that? I mean, th- I think the worst thing about it is self-inflicted. But anyway, uh, the <laughs> the five years time, yeah, and uh, just sensible getting to sort of later twenties. I've sort of realised there are other things, so like just being healthy and like um, eating well, exercising still having time to do those and and hopefully on a million subscribers whatever the heath gps are now obviously is you know like 12 1.2 or something like that. yeah just so I, I interviewed graham in the october and now we are 16 months later and he's about seven hundred thousand higher so, so that's where you'll it's that's where you'll it's be work-life balance uh, eating well exercising and a million subscribers please so 1.3 <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that's good. That's good. Good goals. If you're in a million subscribers, right? If you're in a million subscribers, I nah, I don't even know what I'm going to give you. If you're in a million subscribers, you don't deserve it. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 <laughs> <laughs> a bit unfair. That would be. That's yeah. only two hundred thousand a year, <laughs> and, and that's not how it works. <laughs> you, you, no. nothing, 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 nothing. Fly. That's <laughs> yeah, how it seems to go. Um, no, that's been great, mate. Appreciate having you on. It's been really good. Um, it's been a long time coming. I think Kaz and I have rearranged this <laughs> four times uh, for whatever reason. Uh, we're filming this now, twenty uh, eighth of January, and I think we've probably been trying since early December. But um, it's done now. It's been really good, and and that that sort of idea. I might speak to Hazel. Uh, maybe yeah. I think that could be really cool. Actually, um, uh, a YouTube Instagram crossover. Uh, Excellent. And have a chat with some vets. But yeah, for everyone listening uh, and watching, thank you very much. Um, hope you enjoyed this week. And in two weeks' time, we'll be chatting to a, a graduate wheelie surveyor. Um, so that's another good discussion coming in as well. And uh, yeah, look forward to seeing you there. And thank you for listening. Thank you, Kaz, as well. Well, that's it. Another R2Cast finished another agricultural mind opened up. And I would just like to say that getting these guests on board uh, does take time uh, and it always has done, but I've now went weekly and with that comes even more time required. And I would just like to finally thank once more The Scottish Farmer for sponsoring the show and making that much more possible. Please be sure to get in touch if you've any ideas of people you'd like to see on the podcast or maybe ideas you have for me presenting better because I definitely do require that. See you in the next one.